Cardinals are off today, so that means it's time for another Cardinals Off Day podcast. I'm Ben Godar, here as always with my good friend Ben Humphrey. And Ben, uh, we are recording in person today, which we have not done. Um, I don't think we've done this since the uh, Viva Albertos podcast. I was thinking about that earlier today, and I think you're right. I, I was thinking back, I was like, geez, it's probably been seven or eight years since we've recorded a podcast in person together. So... Uh, it's a fun experiment, and it is a little bit easier to talk to someone when uh, you aren't dealing with technical glitches over the internet, and you can just look at them while you're talking. So we, we hope this uh, plays well for folks listening at home. Yeah, like like many of you, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we became, uh, you know, we retreated socially, but Ben and I are, are physically in the same room tonight. Um, the uh, we're, we're actually recording at my home, the... Uh, Crickets outside are just absolutely going nuts, so we may have some crickets. We may have a little bit of traffic joining us, but uh, most importantly, we're going to be talking about uh, Cardinals baseball. So, Ben, uh, as we often do, I guess always do when we start things off, uh, what have you learned? Uh, Well, I have learned that the more the media landscape changes, the more things stay the same. As I look at Twitter and some of the trade rumor uh, smoke that has been spread around uh, on social media. And I think it's a good time to review how to digest uh, trade rumors and the gossip uh, that you will see in the week ahead. Um, And the first thing is to look at the source and how it's described and then what specifically is being said because a lot of times there is an echo chamber, whether it's MLB trade rumors, uh, whether it's someone sharing an article on Twitter, what have you. And a good example of this uh, came from the New York Post earlier, or actually I I believe it was uh, over the weekend or at the end of last week. And it was by John Heyman and Joel Sherman, who are old hands at this type of thing. And I'm sorry, did you say hacks or hands? (laughs) (laughs) And and the title was uh, Cardinals emerge as potential front runner in Juan Soto sweepstakes. So, in actuality, what is a potential front runner to you, Ben? Uh, I think anyone is a potential front runner. <laughs> yes. So like, uh, it's sort of, if we were making a, a Heisman list, maybe like two years in advance, uh, here are our potential Heisman front runners for the year 2024. Um, and, and so the title tells a lot, but then if you read the article, okay, Ben, here is, uh, the key nugget that the whole article, the title, everything is structured around. Nats people are declining comment for now, though one NL executive said about the Cardinals chances here, quote, good farm system, end quote. That's what the whole that's what the whole article is based on. So John Heyman ran into AJ Preller in a men's room and AJ Preller said <laughs> at the All-Star game. At the All-Star game said Cardinals have a good farm system. Yeah. He was like, "How about the Cardinals on Juan Soto?" and AJ Preller said, "Good farm system." <laughs> uh, but would not lend his name uh, so he could be uh, credited with the quote. So he's he's an anonymous quote there. Um, and so you know, this is very instructive, and there's a whole series of articles from multiple outlets that are founded on 
the, I guess, common knowledge of the industry that the Cardinals have a very good farm system and therefore they could get Juan Soto if they want him and so other executives view them as the team to beat if they want Juan Soto. Um, but it's important to note that there's only been some reporting that the Cardinals have touched base with the Nationals about Juan Soto. We, we know that much. Uh, and the other thing that we know from Ken Rosenthal is that they are asking a very high price, four to five uh, prospects or young players with a lot of team control. And from Jeff Passan earlier today, uh, it's about 50-50 in the, in the industry common knowledge whether the Nationals will even trade Soto. So against all of that backdrop, what does it even mean to be a front runner uh, in the eyes of John Heyman and Sherman? Uh, I don't know, uh, but it's a cautionary tale on how to read these articles and digest rumors and gossip here at the trade deadline. And so that's what I've learned. Uh, be careful out there uh, on Twitter and social media uh, as the trade deadline approaches. Well, and it's funny because uh, what I have learned is also Twitter related, and this is more of just a, in the general life hack category, but uh, uh, I recently uh, started using Twitter lists. Um, and the reason I did is uh, in the main Twitter feed, uh, especially if you follow a subject like baseball or the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, anymore you're just bombarded by all of the stupid accounts. Have you noticed this, Ben? I only follow, of course, incredibly intelligent Cardinals fans, um, including all of our listeners who are, of course, intelligent Cardinals fans. But uh, nevertheless, I just you know, repeatedly see the stupidest baseball writers, the stupidest Cardinals fans. So a great way around that, set yourself up a Twitter list, maybe set up a list that says uh, Cardinals or baseball. Add Cardinals off day first, of course, and then uh, add other good sources, trusted sources like Jeff Passan, etc. So um, that is what I do. Well, if my voice sounds a little different right now, it's because uh, we are recording this after we recorded the rest of the podcast you're listening to today uh, because we had some some pretty big uh, breaking news on the Juan Soto front. So Ben and I are going to get into that. But before we do the other uh, kind of big news, uh, obviously, uh, we have a number of listeners in the St. Louis area. Um, and we know so many people in St. Louis are dealing with the effects of the flooding there. So uh, Ben and I are definitely thinking of you folks. And I hope our, our listeners are all uh, safe and, and not suffering the, the worst of that. Um, Ben, uh, I guess I'll just kind of frame this for us. Uh, uh, Jeff Jones with a pretty big scoop uh, this morning um, uh, with uh, uh, news and, and to quote him, multiple sources have described negotiations between the, the clubs being the Cardinals and the Nationals. That includes Cardinals slugging second baseman Nolan Gorman and a rejoinder from the Nationals that includes starting pitcher Patrick Corbin in an attempt to shed salary. And, and you talked at the top of this show about, you know, how we have to parse these reports and, you know, be aware of that. But, you know, Jeff Jones quoting, you know, unnamed but multiple sources here, you know, seems like he's got some pretty good information about what's going on. What, what are your thoughts at this kind of breaking news? Um, I To me, the, the Cardinals trading straight up for Juan Soto, uh, it always seemed like there would be at least one more major league pitcher uh, in that deal. And Patrick Corbin, by all accounts, is a contract 
the Nationals want to unload, and understandably so. Uh, he has a very high ERA this year. He's making uh, just under $23.5 million in salary. And then he's going to make uh, the, pretty much the same amount next year before earning $35.417 million in 2024, according to Cots baseball contracts. And so it would make sense with new ownership coming in that they would want to get rid of that financial obligation. Um, what's interesting about it is if you look at that money value, um, it works out to probably the range that a club would value a player like a, a Jordan Walker or a Nolan Gorman. So if you're the Cardinals, you're talking about Corbin because you need pitching right now at the major league level. Mm -hmm. um, but it also, by taking on that contract, perhaps you get to hold on to one more top tier prospect. And that sounds like, uh, as Jones says, that's the gambit the Cardinals are trying to uh, play here as the trade deadline approaches. Yeah. And we also had another uh, story on The Athletic today, quoting Nationals GM Mike Rizzo, saying that the, the Nationals won't dilute the Juan Soto trade by tacking on a bad contract. But um, you know, that's, of course, the kind of thing that you would expect a GM to say. And uh, as we were talking kind of before we started recording, Ben, um, you know, uh, anytime a deal like this comes together, you have to imagine that every permutation of the possible deal is, is discussed. And, um, you know, uh, people look at look at options. And so it would be shocking if uh, the option of a Corbin being included wasn't something that both sides looked at. Yeah. And if you're the Cardinals, you've got to do your due diligence and you have to explore every uh, possible scenario in terms of what you can get back and what you can give up. And obviously, the Nationals want to get as much as possible. The Cardinals want to give up as little as possible. And yeah. so uh, there's oftentimes a gap between public statements and discussions that are uh, private between general managers um, as they explore what a potential deal might look like. And, you know, it is entirely possible that uh, this information is out there now and the teams might, one of them or both might just say, forget about it. You're not going to come in. You, you know, we are not in the same headspace right now. And then who knows, maybe on you know, Sunday night, they check back in and the way things have developed, suddenly the Cardinals offer is looking pretty palatable. And so, you know, this is very early on. The Nationals are going to have these discussions and, you know, they are going to say we're not going to dilute the talent pool. And one of the reasons you stake out that territory is then you can come back and no matter what the trade is, you can say we held fast and we got the best deal we could get. Yeah, and, and you the, know, and the, they they was, they preempt uh, criticism is just what I was going to say in the media if they do that. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I was going to say is you know in the event that the Nationals end up trading Juan Soto and you know tacking on Patrick Corbin, there will be some criticism of them for exactly this. So this is just sort of you know <laughs> saying hey we're not going to take that criticism right now because we haven't done it yet, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to to do it. And you know, Ben, this whole conversation it has me thinking about. Brad Pitt is Billy Bean in uh, Moneyball, uh, who you know famously waxes. How can you not be romantic about baseball? And um, 
you know, modern day GMs by and large are very capable of not being romantic about baseball. And <laughs> yeah. as, you know, as you see these deals coming together, and I think this is a really great illustration of it, really these players are dollars. And so, um, you know, and I think you framed it really well at the top of the conversation, the dollars that the Cardinals might be asked to eat in taking on Patrick Corbin could very well equal the dollars that Jordan Walker is worth, um, you know, while he's under club control. And so it, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're trading perceived dollars for dollars. Yes. And it's every, and, and something everyone should appreciate is that every organization in major league baseball nowadays has a system that they use to place value on every player in the organization and every player in other organizations. And there are differences in the perceived value, in particular with prospects and how you might uh, assess them given what your scouts are telling you or what their profile is like and your internal valuations of that profile. And so, you know, there's uh, the website that we've used, I think it's uh, baseballtradevalues.com, attempts to approximate that in a, in a neutral way. And the Cardinals valuation is going to be different from that website. It's also going to be different from the Nationals. And so yeah. the question becomes whether each team can get a perceived value in dollars of what they want uh, to give up and what they want to get back. And so uh, it, it, there can be differences of opinions and that's why some teams match up better uh, with other teams and vice versa. And so uh, it will be interesting to see if, if the Cardinals and nationals can come together um, because as it, it sounds like the Cardinals are going this route with Corbin and with Gorman uh, at the center of the major league talent, uh, including Soto, in an effort to avoid giving up, according to Jones's report, both Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker. And right. so it sounds like it would be one or the other, plus Gorman, and then probably some other pieces. Well, it honestly makes me wonder if, if in this maybe framework that's being bandied about here, Wynn is part of that. And um, you, you know what I mean? And, and like yes. wins are the foregone conclusion in it, because if they're trying to pry Walker out of the deal because they don't want to give up Walker and win, you know, I would interpret that to mean that, you know, perhaps they're settled on win being a part of this, this particular framework. Yes. And uh, that would not surprise me. Um, you know, a, a package centered around, Gorman and Wynn is a pretty nice haul if you're the Nationals. And then you're probably going to throw in, you know, some other players, uh, probably another position player, maybe another pitching prospect or two. So uh, it would be pretty interesting. Uh, In terms of Patrick Corbin, you know, something that I wanted to say about him, he's owed a heck of a lot of money and it's a higher salary than he is a quality of pitcher. Um, But I think how bad he has been this year has been overstated to a degree. Um, the, the thing to keep in mind is his slider quality has really eroded, in particular its vertical movement. And it, it used to be his bread and butter pitch and he threw it a lot. Um, and now it's not as good. It doesn't have the movement that it used to have. So he's not as good a pitcher. But even without that, that in his repertoire, he is nonetheless, he has a high home run rate. He has a high batting average on balls in play. 
But playing in St. Louis, it's not hard to see how he would benefit because his fielding independent pitching that adjusts his home run rate to league average, which is called XFIP, is about league average. Yeah, and, three, uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's 3.97, which is, yeah, league average. And in other words, like uh, near the front of the Cardinals rotation. <laughs> and so, right, he would slot in in the number three spot. He's going to give you innings. Um, and so that's not a bad pitcher to have if you're the Cardinals. No. It's it's really running the Lester Hap game plan in a way yeah. all over again, but they're going to have him for two plus years if he were included. And so, you know, at a very high price, in addition to paying Juan Soto. So it's interesting to hear that that's a part of the conversation. Um, and it would also be interesting to see if the Nationals send money back to the Cardinals to try to buy additional prospects, um, yes. which is a dynamic that is not discussed in this article. But just on its face, it seems like that would certainly be a part of the conversation uh, from the Cardinals' perspective. And that's something the Cardinals have done and I think would be very interested in doing here, you know, um, in, in figuring out a way to, to lower that amount that's owed to Corbin over the rest of those, uh, of those years of the contract. And, and you alluded to the money that's owed to Soto as well. And this is something that, you know, in the early reporting saying, oh, the Nationals want four or five, you know, top prospects and all this. I mean, obviously, Juan Soto is, you know, a generational talent. He's a guy who you go and look at his, you know, most comparable players and you're going to see like Pujols, Mays, Ruth, you know, like you're going to see some of the greatest players of all time. Um, but that said, he's already in his first year of arbitration making $17.5 million. Next year, I assume he would make somewhere around 25 and then probably 30 plus after that. So, you know, even in these years of, of club control, his salary is going to quickly rise to a number that is still a value for the kind of player he is, but it's not, uh, you know, not, not, not a, maybe a gigantic value. You are still going to have to pay him quite a bit of money. So I've just wondered throughout this process if the haul the Nationals get might be less than what they've kind of been saying they wanted because, yeah, you're getting Juan Soto, but you're going to have to pay him, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, $60 million over the, you know, this time that you have him. And uh, potentially Patrick Corbin's $60 million as well. <laughs> yeah, and so, exactly. and so you're, you know, you're looking at that and what are you going to give up for that? Right. And so it will be interesting to see if, if the Cardinals end up, acquiring Soto and Corbin, what the other pieces look like, you know, given how high this price tag gets in terms of major league salary compared to the price tag in prospects, because how much in value are you going to give up in prospects for the right to pay Juan Soto and Patrick Corbin $120 million over two years? Exactly. Exactly. You know, one other thing I wonder, um, I, I thought it was interesting today. I kind of assumed this would be followed by a flurry of, you know, kind of confirming this from other reporters. And I haven't really seen anybody other than Jeff Jones on this. Have you? Uh, no, I have not. I, I read an article from Derek Gould that the club had had discussions with Soto and they wanted the sun, the moon and the stars, which, uh, you know, <laughs> with where this package seems to be starting out at, uh, if Corbin is not in it, I think that's a, a nice uh, allegory for <laughs> what the Nationals want from the Cardinals. And I would be very surprised if the Cardinals are willing uh, to go there. 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's worth taking a breath on this and realizing kind of how far we are away from this. Again, to go back to Jones's own words, multiple sources who I'm guessing are people you you would kind of assume in the Cardinals organization, because that's where he has the most contacts, but could be with the Nationals, could be agents, um, have described negotiations between the two clubs. That includes Cardinals, you know, Nolan Gorman and, and a rejoinder from the Nationals for Patrick Gorman. So, you know, this is someone with knowledge of it describing a particular framework that's being discussed. So that is further along than what we kind of had talked about at the top of the show. Most of the reporting we'd seen, which is just that, hey, Juan Soto is available and hey, the Cardinals have a lot of good players, you know, and, and maybe they've, you know, phone calls have gone back and forth. This this does ratchet it up. This does take it a step further, but we're still quite a few steps from this being a reality. Yeah. Yep. I it, We are a long ways off. These are, uh, you know, not much time has passed since the news broke that a trade is likely and we still have time before the trade deadline. So this is, you know, an early point in the negotiations and the final package, if there is one, uh, will probably have be recognizable based on this reporting, uh, but it will also almost certainly be different. Um, so, uh, all right, uh, Ben, I don't think there's really any other position players out there. The only other thing I wonder from a position player standpoint is might they go out there and get a catcher? Um, that's that's the one spot. And actually, I think uh, John Mozeliak even mentioned that um, when he uh, spoke at, at Blogger Day, kind of threw that out there as a possibility. Uh, you know, Yachty's coming back, but, you know, is, is Yachty your, your kind of primary starting catcher at this point? I think the team would be stronger if they actually acquired an upgrade who was the primary starting catcher. And Yachty was maybe, uh, you know, every, every Wainwright start and, you know, kind of come out and tip your cap. Um, so I think the team would be better that way. I could see them doing that, but I think they'll be opportunistic there. And, and I don't have names. Wilson Contreras is like the biggest name on the catcher market. I don't see them getting into that. But um, I, anyway, I don't know. Did you, are there any catchers you have in mind, or do you think that's a possibility? I, I think it's a possibility. Um, Austin Romine is not the answer. And no. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I don't think he'll probably be in the org much past Yachty's return date. I don't. I don't think he'll be in the org uh, one second past Yachty's return date. Nor um, should. Nor should he be. But uh, over the last couple of years, there have been some interesting pieces written on why catchers were not traded, and even yeah. uh, what teams look at. And you know, the Astros in particular, it looked like they could use an upgrade. At, catcher entering this trade deadline and there's been a lot written about their defensive catchers and how much they value them and how much their pitchers value them and it's it's against this backdrop overall about trading for catchers midseason and how hard it is to get on the same page as every pitcher uh, on the team's staff and then effectively call games for them as well as worry about your own hitting preparation and so the game planning and the work that goes into that makes it a steep learning curve and harder to be successful for the pitcher and the catcher. And that's why a lot of uh, teams nowadays, uh, and also keep in mind, they have a lot more information to go through nowadays. So, so it is even more homework involved, even if you know your pitchers. And so uh, it really seems like nowadays organizations are shying away from that mid-season acquisition of a starting primary catcher and so I think that would surprise me 
but it would not surprise me if they could find a catcher who could hit pretty well and had been in the league a while because I think that's the type of guy that would have a, you know, kind of a little easier time making that transition. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they would be opportunistic. So that's, that's what I would look for. Um, if they're willing to make that trade. Well, and the other thing I would say with the catch, I mean, and, and there's this year, the trade deadlines, even of course, a couple days later, I mean, it's, I want to say it's something like 67 regular season games after the trade deadline. It's not a lot. And a catcher in any circumstance is not going to be starting every day. And of course, with, you know, Yachty there, we know that, you know, Yachty would, again, at the minimum be getting those kind of Wainwright starts. So, <laughs> you know, you're really not talking about many games that this guy is going to be in your lineup. And you're, if you're not talking about, uh, you know, a Wilson Contreras or a really kind of like top level catcher, you know, you also wonder just how much can a guy like that even even move the needle. So, um, so anyway, those are some reasons that they may or may not go for a catcher. Um, but I think the other targets that are out there are primarily pitchers. And there's a lot of names out there, Ben. And I think there's people that, um, you know, maybe the, the club has, has said are available. There's people that it's widely speculated are available. What do you think of some of the names out there? I, it's difficult uh, because you have, you know, not a lot of good options. Um, and then there's a lot of options that you wonder how available that person really might be. I, I would like to start with the pitcher that I think is the starting pitcher most likely to be traded, and that's Noah Syndergaard. Um, you know, he's on a one-year contract with the Angels. Um, he has a $21 million salary this year. The, the Cardinals would be responsible for a prorated share of that. And he's a very different pitcher than he was before he got injured. He doesn't strike out as many batters. Uh, but he's been decent this year, uh, despite the lower strikeout rate. Um, in terms of uh, ERA and FIP, uh, he's been a little bit better than league average because his ERA lines up with you know, his individual performance. And for people who may be new to the podcast, uh, FIP stands for Fielding Independent Pitching, which looks at strikeouts, walks, and home runs allowed, uh, which are the three things... Uh, typically thought of for a pitcher to have the most control over as an individual uh, athlete during the game. And so when we look, and, and those stats actually have a higher correlation with future earned run average than past earned run average. So here in Cardinals Off Day, we like to look at the fielding independent pitching stat. And if you look at that uh, with ERA, Syndergaard's line up pretty well. Um, and it's, it's not hard to see him maybe getting a little bit better with ERA uh, if he is pitching in front of an outfield that has a healthy O'Neill, a healthy Bader, and a healthy Carlson, as well as an infield with Arenado and Edmund uh, on it. So yeah. I, I think that is a name who would have to be quite enticing to the Cardinals. Yeah. Well, and normally they have not... Uh, I mean, the the sort of rest of the year rental is is often not their their first choice, but this year and especially with needing probably multiple starting pitchers, uh, to me, if Syndergaard is sort of the second pitcher they get, you know, the second best pitcher they acquire, I think they're in great shape. Um, 
you know, and and yes, he's, you know, he's owed a prorated portion of that salary, but you know that could be negotiated down. Yeah. And also another thing that I don't know uh, specifically how it would work, but the Angels are going with more of a six-man rotation and trying to keep the workload down, and so you know how he would fare down the stretch especially after his health problems is an open question uh, but in terms of the profile and, it, and I agree with you I think you hit the nail on the head again a one year or a rest of the season rental who's going to go be a free agent you know fits this team if they're going to get two pitchers um, and, and they need two pitchers and so he, he would definitely fill a need and he slots right in there behind Wainwright mm-hmm. um you know, or maybe even in front of him, depending how they pitch down the stretch uh, in a playoff series. Um, and so I, I think Syndergaard is a very interesting name for the Cardinals. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think at the, the higher end uh, guys who I think they might go after, and, and these are two names that really have just kind of um, – especially started to be talked about today as both the, the Tigers and the Marlins essentially said, hey, we're selling, <laughs> according to multiple reports. So uh, uh, Tariq Skubal of the, uh, of the Tigers and uh, Pablo Lopez from the Marlins to me seem like two pretty high-end arms. Uh, and again, this is a terrible market for pitchers. And I think, I think it was maybe Mike Petriello who wrote a piece kind of comparing like who's available this year over the last like 25 years. And this is one of the absolute <laughs> worst years. Um, but, you know, those are both uh, very talented young pitchers. Um, the, you know, FIPS uh, under four um, and, uh, you know, controllable for multiple years past this year. Um, I could certainly see either of them being a, a target for the Cardinals, and frankly, I hope they are. That's a, those are exactly the kind of guys that I hope um, they might go after. Um, certainly, they would probably have to part with, you know, I would think, um, you know, at least one, maybe two of those seven prospects in that top 100 um, list they have. But you know, nowhere near the kind of haul that you see people talking about for for Juan Soto, and so. Um, seems like something they could make happen. Those are those are two names that are kind of enticing to me. Um, ben, anybody else on the kind of pitching side you wanted to hit on? Um, I I think that uh, the names that you just brought up make a lot of sense because of the multiple years of control yeah. and Scooble in particular, you really get the sense that the Tigers have looked at the terrible pitching market <laughs> at the trade deadline. Yeah, and they're like, hey, we got a guy who has. Uh, has until 2027 to become a free agent. You know, we might yeah. be able to replenish this roster with some position players, um, which is what Ken Rosenthal reported was their goal. And so they're going to float him out there and see if they can get someone to bite and hand over those prospects. And the Cardinals would seem to match up with them on that front. And so I, I think that fits more in line with what Mosellock and the Cardinals value which is years of cheap cost control. So if they're going to give up years of cheap cost control, they would like yep. to get years back. And I think that's interesting. Um, you know, a name that you see thrown around a lot is Madison Bumgarner. And I'm just 
unless Arizona eats a lot of that contract, I just don't see the appeal for the Cardinals. I feel like people who throw out Madison Bumgarner, it's because he's a pitcher whose name they know. I, you know, and I, I, and they, you know, picture him uh, pitching for the Giants in the World Series, you know, eight years ago or <laughs> however long ago that was. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, and, and you know, and he's. He's rebounded a bit of late. You know, he's a little better now than he was a year or two ago. But yeah, I don't see, you know, I don't see amazing quality there. And and yeah, with the contract, it's just like, yeah, why? I, I really don't see that as a possibility. No, I, you know, he he would be under team control uh, for a couple years uh, after this year. But that contract is is going to pay him, I think. Uh, 17 or 18 million dollars a year so yeah i just don't see the appeal there um you know his peripherals are not too terribly different from andre palante's at least before the toronto start right um, and just a miserable you know baseball cop personality that i don't want to watch <laughs> no so. no not at all especially when he's not good like right. it's one thing if you're a miserable baseball cop and you're really good, right. but it's another thing entirely because it just seems so pathetic. Like it's yeah. like you're not good, so shut up and stop trying to tell other people how to play. Yeah, yep, yeah, and you know, and beyond that, um, you know, we haven't mentioned Frankie Montas. He's one of so many ca- uh, pitchers who are available on the market who are dealing with shoulder injuries. And Ben, I don't think I would have any interest in acquiring a pitcher <laughs> with a with a shoulder injury during the season. That just seems like, uh, you know, I mean, look, we're trying to we're acquiring pitchers because all of our pitchers have, you know, injuries or ineffectiveness. Uh, I just to me, that's a that's a, a non-starter. I, I, I don't think he will be traded until as close to the deadline and as far away from his most recent start as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly is concerning when he comes out a game with a lower velocity, has you know shoulder discomfort, sits out a start. That's enough to scare me off. Like I'm not going to give you one of our top ten prospects yeah, for exactly. a pitcher who may not pitch more than a start for us because he has shoulder problems. Um, and you know, now that I've said that, Montas will probably be great down the stretch and great in the postseason, great next year. But the question mark is big enough in my mind. Yeah, exactly. That, that I wouldn't be interested. Yeah, you know, any of these guys could. You know, I mean, someone could acquire Madison Bumgarner, and he could roll off two months of vintage Madison Bumgarner. But there's not a lot of reason to expect that would happen. Um, just like there's not a lot of reason to expect that Montas is going to be fully healthy. So. Um, and the the last name I wanted to mention, but more just kind of for what it represents, uh, and again, I, Mike Petriello, I believe, wrote a piece suggesting that maybe the Giants could make Carlos Rodon available. And, and uh, again, I don't think they have suggested that, but he laid out the parameters that suggest, you know, they, they could very well decide that they're sellers. And Rodon would vault to the top of the available pitcher list. And so, and that was a big part of his argument was, you know, they could probably get a lot more value from him if they were to trade him right now than they could at any other time. Now, we don't know if he's going to be available, but I think it's just also important to remember at trade deadline time, we have no idea who's who's available, who's really available, who's realistically available, etc. So I think most of these guys we've talked about today, you know, there's multiple credible reports that these guys are being shopped. But, but Ben, I guarantee that some of these 
names that we talked about today are just not going to move. And then there's going to be other guys who haven't even entered our mind who, who do move. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things you can kind of follow along. You can see the reports, but it's, it's always a surprise. And so you just have to, of course, hope that your team is, is checking in everywhere and taking advantage opportunistically. Um, so we don't know who the Cardinals could acquire. We have more of an idea who they might trade. So, Ben, let's uh, let's roll through some of these names, um, these prospects or major leaguers with service time left. And I think we're going to kind of pro-con each of these guys because I think any of these guys could potentially be involved in a trade. So... Um, uh, why don't we? Uh, so we want to start. Let's start with Tyler O'Neill. There, Ben. Are you going to take the pro or the con? Um, I'll take the uh, the the pro for trading him. Yeah. I guess is uh, you know he has a lot of tools, but he also has a weird profile, and we've talked about this on the podcast. It's difficult to figure out what to expect from him. Um, and so, you know, trading away that uncertainty to help fill an immediate need in a more certain way. Um, and also you can replace him uh, from within uh, pretty well. And so those are pros for trading Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, the con is, you know, this is a guy who got MVP votes last season in a year that he was even injured for a good chunk of the season. So, um, you know, if you're looking at guys on the current Cardinals roster who could potentially give you production approaching a Juan Soto, I think you'd have to put Tyler O'Neill near the top of that list. Um, not saying he's likely to do that, but he absolutely could do that. So you're, you're giving away some, some kind of top-end talent there. And, and, and also, um, you know, compared to some of these other guys we're going to talk about, O'Neill has done it at the major league level in a way that Nolan Gorman... Uh, you know, Jordan Walker, et cetera, have not. So he's, he's further along on that, you know, kind of development curve. Um, we, we, it's more real with him. So those would be some reasons not to do that. Um, next on the list, Ben, we're moving to right field, um, talking about Dylan Carlson. Uh, I'll take the pro on trading Dylan Carlson. And I tell you what, um, I would hate for the Cardinals to trade Dylan Carlson, but I tell you the reason to do it is I think he could bring an absolute haul because I think Dylan Carlson has just such a tremendous amount of value given his very young age, um, given uh, how much production he's already shown at the major leagues. Um, uh, I know on that uh, uh, MLB Trade Values uh, website, uh, you know their their calculation that they do has him as the player with the most surplus value on the Cardinals, and and I I think that's probably true. I mean, do do you I mean do you think Jordan Walker has more surplus value? I don't because he's still he's still too unproven. So to me, the main reason that you might trade Dylan Carlson is just because you he's he's probably your biggest chip and you could bring back the most for him. Um, and then the the cons for doing it is, you know, this is a guy who's probably going to be, you know, I don't know, let's say uh, a 110 to 130 weighted runs created plus, which, you know, 10 to 30% above league average. He's going to play solid to above average defense. He's going to run the bases well, and he has a really good plate approach. He's also very young. 
And so it's not hard to see Dylan Carlson as like a 10-year starter uh, for the Cardinals. And, you know, seven of those years are going to be cost-controlled. And if they get him to sign an extension, you know, he could be even, you know, kind of below market value there. And that having that type of a, of a lineup mainstay frees you up uh, to go and get the next Paul Goldschmidt or the next Nolan Arenado, who's an established big leaguer uh, in their prime, who's making a premium salary. And so that is a very, very valuable piece to have. And I, I think he's probably one of the names that is requested by the Nationals if the Cardinals are talking about Juan Soto because he, he is not Juan Soto, but he's not a bad player to have in right field at all, especially yeah. if you're trying uh, to replace a 23-year-old right fielder. You know, uh, he's not a bad person to go and, and try and help fill that void. Not at all. Not at all. So next up, Ben, we've got Harrison Bader. Which which side are you going to take? Um, I will uh, take the pros to trading him. Uh, you know, Bader is up and down at the plate, um, and he derives a lot of value with his feet, and he has come up with a foot issue. And so, you know, we could be entering a time where his value is only going to go down. And so it might make sense uh, to try and get something for him now because his skill set may further erode his value and make him more of a fourth outfielder type. Yeah, and I think the, the big reason not to trade him right now is just as we said, uh, you know, why do you want to acquire a pitcher with a shoulder injury? Why do you want to acquire a fleet of foot outfielder with a foot injury? Um, and so I just don't think Bader's value would be particularly high right now. So that's, you know, that's one reason to hang on to him. And, um, you know, and I also just think his, he, he helps this team so much in center field with all of the balls in play that their pitchers give up because they don't strike anybody out. And I know Carlson has made some very good plays and just played well in center field. And I see some people kind of like, well, we don't need Bader. We've got Carlson there. Uh, it would still be very nice to have Bader's defense in center and Carlson's defense in right. So those would be reasons not to do that. Uh, Juan Yepes, um Ben, uh, I'm going to take the reasons to keep Juan Yepes because I think Juan Yepes is a pretty easy trade chip. But, um, you know, I think there's reasons to hang on to him. Um, he's just a young player. He's a, you know, he's a really young player. He's a very good hitter. Uh, the designated hitter is a thing now um, in uh, the National League and will be. So even though he doesn't really have much of a position, we know that he provides value, uh, you know, with his bat. Um, he's he's fallen off this season, but that's not unusual in a young player's first season. You know, he's he's hit very well um, in the last couple of years in the minors, and I think will will be a valuable um, hitter in the majors um, at low cost. So you know, I don't know that Juan Yepes is a guy that you go deep into arbitration with necessarily. I don't know that Juan Yepes is a guy that you sign to an extension, but I think especially in those pre-arb years, Juan Yepes is a pretty valuable guy. So maybe you hang on to him. Uh, a a reason not to trade him now, of course, is he's injured. And yeah. assuming 
and, and it would be a big assumption, and I don't think it's actually likely, because it sounds like he had a setback, and they aren't sure when he will be back with the Cardinals. So uh, I would be surprised if they traded him now. Um, another con to trading him now, as you pointed out, is his numbers have been falling, and his peripherals don't seem to support... Uh, in terms of his batted ball profile and his walks, but Ben, I, I get you. You need to give the reasons why we should trade him. Oh, I thought I was doing. The, no, uh, no, I gave the reasons to keep him. So I was. Oh, I, need I was trying. Okay. I'm I was. Sorry. I was trying to tee one up for you here. Oh, uh, the reasons. Well, these are also reasons to trade him. It's trying to get someone to bite before the batted bro- ball profile and the lack of walks stick to his profile because he's still close enough to his very good hitting in the minors um, that, you know, you might be able to talk someone into him being able to recreate that in the majors. And so um, the other thing is he does have the uh, forearm injury and, you know, how that will impact his hitting, which is where he derives all of his value, remains to be seen. But that's another question mark down the stretch. And it also gives you uh, a little bit of clarity with what you're doing at the DH position. If you're able to move Yupez, then Burleson probably steps into a more prominent role in the DH, which makes sense because they face more right-handed pitchers as a general rule than lefties, and Burleson is left-handed. Um, and uh, it creates a, a clearer dynamic uh, in that role as they go down the stretch. All right. So Brendan Donovan is the one that we have up next, and uh, I'm, I'm going to take the keep Brendan Donovan here because, of course, that's what I hope they do. Uh, God, Brendan Donovan just creates value in so many ways. You know, very uh, you know his his offensive profile is just so solid, and and I especially appreciate guys like Donovan that you know have on base skills. Also, you know, get good contact. His power is not great, but you know he's he can generate some doubles. Um, it's it's a robust uh, profile that I think um, you know will uh, it's 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 hard to slump when you have that kind of that kind of profile and then his defensive versatility um, you know he can play you know not superlative defense but he can play competently all over I think in this kind of modern era of baseball when you're playing matchups and things like that that's super valuable and he's left-handed which you of course brought up earlier and that's something they really need so. Ben, now you have to uh, give reasons why they should trade superstar rookie Brendan Donovan. Um, I think he's older than a lot of people think. Um, he's 25 and a half. Uh, he doesn't hit for a lot of power, and so I don't know. It, it, there is a question. He has a very good plate approach. He has a very good concept of the strike zone. But major league pitchers nowadays have ungodly stuff. And so, you know, once they figure out any sort of susceptibility, but also the fact that he's not going to do a lot of damage to them, I think they're, they're going to become more aggressive in challenging him. And it will be, you know, this month has shown, I think, a little bit of that. And he has been sick. Um, and so, you know, right now, there's a very real possibility um, and I don't know if I necessarily believe this, but there's a very real possibility that we're, we're seeing the best batting line that Donovan will ever have, uh, you know, this late in a major league season yeah. in his career. Yeah. 
And so, you know, now might be the time that you trade him. The other is, if you can trade a utility guy for a starting pitcher who's good, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> especially with what the team needs now, right. you do it. Right, yeah. As valuable as utility guys are, um, you know, they also aren't valuable enough to displace someone in a, in a starting position. All right, Ben, uh, Nolan Gorman, you can either argue to trade him or not trade him, and I'm going to very quietly go and grab myself another beer while you're talking. Okay. Um, I am in favor of trading Nolan Gorman. His swing has uh, very easy power, and it is not hard at all because of that swing to imagine him being a 25 to 30 home run guy. You know, I kind of think of like, I don't know, maybe like a Dan Ugla type, um, but with a prettier swing. And uh, that being said, he does not really have a defensive position, although he's been okay at second base uh, in limited action so far this season. Um, But he also has a lot of swing and miss in his game. And I think the power is very enticing right now. He was very high on prospect lists. And so, again, if I could get a few years of control of a very good pitcher or Juan Soto, uh, I would trade Nolan Gorman uh, in one of those deals. All right. Ben, you ignorant slut. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, solid points. Um, I would not trade Nolan Gorman. Um, You know, I think this is the best uh, power hitting prospect to come out of the Cardinals system since, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, uh, Tavares maybe. Um, uh, You know, uh, they don't produce guys like this real often. Um, He's only 22 years old. And I watched him pretty closely throughout his minor league career just because, you know, he was top of their prospect list pretty much from the second he arrived. And, you know, consistently... As he would rise a level, even when he might, you know, hit like a bit of a rough patch, he would push through that. And so I expect we're going to continue to see improvement at the major league level. Um, you know, I think uh, he'll ultimately have a, uh, an approach that generates a, a good number of walks to help offset the strikeouts. And, and the power is going to be ridiculous. Um you know, honestly, his defense at second base has been better than I expected. And, um, you know, and I think uh, eventually, you know, there's maybe an opening for him to move into more of a corner position or something like that later on in his career. So anyway, those are reasons I would hang on to him. So next up, we got the big the big uh, prospect, uh, Jordan Walker. Um, gosh, let me see. I'm going to which one do you want to do on this? I'm not sure which way I would argue on this. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I, I can go either way. Well, all right, I'm going to take the easy route on this, and I'm going to argue to keep Jordan Walker. Uh, And essentially for the the same reasons (laughs) that I just said with Nolan Gorman, Nolan Gorman is the best uh, power-hitting prospect the Cardinals have generated in a long time. But that could end in the next, uh, you know, 6 to 12 months when Jordan Walker comes up because Jordan Walker is is even younger. Uh, Jordan Walker, I'm pretty sure, is 20. Do I have that right? Uh, you know, Jordan Walker is 20, um, and, uh, you know, I don't think we'll come up this year, but I think next year is, is absolutely going to be a part of this team. Um, I mean, he's, he's blazed through the minor leagues. Um, 
you know, the hit tool, um, the power, the approach, uh, just really phenomenal. Um, so, you know, you never know until they actually do it in the major leagues, if they can do it, but they're, uh, from what you can project based on minor league production, um, this guy is at the high end of where you think this guy is legit. So, um, you know, this is a guy who absolutely looks to have the potential to be perennial all-star MVP winner type player, uh, especially when you are drafting around 22nd in the draft every year. It's, it's tough to get those guys in the draft and have them for a full slate of, of years of team control. So I think they hang on. They should hang on to Walker. Um, and as John Mosellock said, half-jokingly uh, at Blogger Day, you know, you, you never say never going into the trade deadline, but we're not trading Jordan Walker. Um, uh, the reason to trade Jordan Walker is if you can get Juan Soto. And even if it's, it's two-plus years of Juan Soto, yeah. I think that's, that's where the rubber hits the road on trading Jordan Walker for me. And there's probably a pitch or two you could talk me into, um, but I don't think any of those pitchers are available at this trade deadline, so I, I don't think uh, that I would do it for a pitcher. But, you know, if you can get Juan Soto and that requires trading Jordan Walker, you trade for Juan Soto, in my opinion. All right. Uh, his buddy Mason Wynn. Uh, ben, I'll let you pick on this one. Which way are you going? Uh, you do not trade Mason Wynn because he is everything you want in a middle infielder if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a very good defensive player. He has a very strong arm. And it's not hard to see him being the everyday shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals for 10 years. And while he's doing that, giving you, you know, league average or better uh, offensive production since he has moved into shortstop full-time and stopped pitching a little bit on the side, his bat seems to have taken off uh, to a higher level. I mean, there's, there's the possibility that, that he becomes a dynamic player like a, like a Trey Turner type. Uh, at shortstop for the Cardinals for, for a decade or, or more. And he also has a, just a really great personality, and I love him on Twitter, and he would be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and uh, he seems to be someone that other players really like playing with. And so just a player that dynamic in that many ways, you keep in your organization. Because while people call Tommy Edmond a winning player, Mason Wynn actually is a winning player when you combine every facet of the game, including uh, the skill of hitting. Well, if you're going to, you know, if I'm forced here to argue reasons to trade Mason Wynn, um, which I hope they don't do, but uh, similar to what you said with Jordan Walker, you know, if, if you're the St. Louis Cardinals and you are really going out and trying to acquire a high quality player, you're going to have to give up something valuable in return. Um, I don't think Wynn is as valuable as Walker. I don't think Wynn is as valuable as Gorman um, or uh, Carlson. Um, so as much as I like Mason Wynn, you know, I mean, you, you know, if, if you, the more guys you tick off as untouchable, the, the less return you're going to get. 
And so while I think Mason Wynn has all of the potential that you just said, you know, this is also a very young player who just started playing shortstop uh, full time, is still developing, is developing on a trajectory that I think is extremely enticing. But, you know, it is still more development to happen there. And so uh, I think you trade him if you can get a really high quality. And, and when I don't think we're necessarily only talking in the Juan Soto range. But, you know, if you have the opportunity to get more of like a frontline starting pitcher, um, but to make that deal happen, uh, Mason Wynn needs to be the centerpiece of that. I think you give up on the potential of Mason Wynn and, and make that deal. Um, ben, next on our list here, we have Matthew Liberatore. Um, uh, you and I are not fans of Matthew Liberatore, so uh, I'll take, you know what, I'll take the don't trade Matthew Liberatore, and I'm just going to say, uh, to me, it's so dependent on what his value is, right? This is a guy who's still on some top 100 prospect lists, but what we've seen in the major leagues is not promising at all. So if you take Matthew Liberatore to the market, and you have no interest whatsoever, or just extremely low interest, I think you hang on to him. Because there is some pedigree there. I know when Kyle was on last week, you know, he thought we've what we've seen from him so far is about the worst case scenario. There's more potential there. So those would be reasons that I think you potentially hang on to Matthew Libertor. Um, so Ben, let me place the ball on a tee and ask you why they should trade Matthew Libertor. Um. They should trade Matthew Libertor because there's a chance that the shine might not be totally off of him um, in terms of how people view his potential across the game. Feels like maybe a Jerry Depoto or somebody like just might not have caught any Cardinals games this year and might be like, oh yeah, I'll do that deal. And, you know, at this point in time, he's not a centerpiece of a trade. Like, you couldn't get a player like Randy Arozarena for him. Yeah, <laughs> no, you could not. Um, and it looks like you never will uh, get a player of, of that caliber uh, for Matthew Liberatore. Um, but the, the, the reason to trade him is he still probably profiles as a starter. He's left-handed. Uh, there are other teams who might find him interesting because they're better at developing pitchers and helping pitchers uh, develop an approach that plays to their strength at the major leagues than the Cardinals are. Um, because right now, quite frankly, I don't know what the organization is doing with Matthew Libertor. Um, how do they want him to pitch? Uh, there was a tweet, and I can't remember who said it uh, or who sent it, um, but Libertor had a a bullpen session in St. Louis and he was working on throwing low in the zone and he made the comment to reporters that he had never done that in his professional career yet. And I was thinking to myself, what are you doing from a pitching development perspective as an organization if a guy gets to the majors and you're trying to change the way that he has pitched at every other level in your organization, from every other level in your organization. And so what I'm saying is the Cardinals may have just messed up Matthew Libertor and he could be salvageable. And I hope he gets that opportunity to be successful somewhere else with a more competent organization when it comes to developing major league pitching. And so part of the reason I trade Matthew Libertor is a humanitarian endeavor uh, <laughs> to help him with his career. 
but also because I think he has enough value to help you get someone back in return who you know your your major league pitching coaches can better work with because they understand his strengths uh, or they don't need to coach him as much because quite frankly it seems like our major league pitching coaches do better with pitchers who they don't have to coach as much true true all right sticking with the pitchers we got just a few more here um uh, uh, McGreevy, um, it's Michael McGreevy, isn't it? Yes. It's Michael McGreevy, sorry. We just went from Matthew to Michael. I had a brief uh, pause there. Um, I'll take the reasons to, to trade McGreevy. Um, you know, this is a guy who was a, a number one pick last year, um, has done well in the minor leagues. Um, so frankly, I think he has, I think he has value. Um, and I think you know now might be the opportunity to take advantage of that. The Cardinals are pretty desperate for pitching, so you could certainly argue they shouldn't be giving up on any um, you know potential uh, starting pitching help that could be on the way. But I think you know McGreevy, uh, by most accounts, is uh, you know behind Graceffo, and uh, then of course uh, Tink Hentz, you know, has uh, who's who's much further down. Uh, level-wise, but is really, really turning heads. So to me, McGreevy would be the you know third most valuable out of those three guys. And again, given the idea that you've got to give up some value to get some value, McGreevy would probably be the, the first of those that I would part with. Uh, ben, what have you to say? Um, I would not trade him because of his profile as a pitcher. He fits right into what the organization is trying to do. And it's a profile that I think would do well in Bush Stadium because it suppresses offense overall. Um, the strikeout numbers are not anything to write home about, uh, but he doesn't walk people, and he has a good, healthy ground ball rate. And so that profile, I think, plays pretty well for the Cardinals as a starter. Um, and... Uh, I think he's the type of pitcher that would give them a lot of value when he makes it up to the majors next year or uh, in early 2024. So what about Gordon Graceffo, Ben? What, 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 what side of that do you want to take? Um, I think that uh, I would not trade uh, Gordon Graceffo um, because... Uh, he also doesn't walk anyone. Uh, he has a little less enticing ground uh, ball rate. Um, and the strikeouts haven't really been there in double A. Uh, but what he showed earlier in the year uh, when he was in high A with Peoria was just so electric. Um, I don't know if I would want to give up on him before he's had an an opportunity to fully adjust to double A because it's really not hard to imagine a rotation that has these two in it for six years for me. But that being said, if I had to choose between McGreevy and Graceffo, I would probably trade Graceffo. Yeah, and uh, so if I'm arguing, uh, what am I? I'm arguing to trade Graceffo here. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I just go back to the old adage that there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. <laughs> so if you, uh, you know, uh, if somebody, and I said it before, uh, you know, I would hang on to uh, Graceffo 
over McGreevy, but it's not, it's, it's fairly close. And so I think if you're trying to do a deal with a team on a player that's going to uh, significantly upgrade, um, especially your, your major league starting pitching, and they ask for Graceffo over McGreevy, and that's going to get the deal done. I, you know, I think you, I think you get it done. Um, really promising, but still a couple, you know, levels away, and and a lot can go wrong there from a performance standpoint, from an injury standpoint. Last Ben, we've got Markevian Tink Hence, and I'm going to go ahead and take the don't trade Markevian Tink Hence, and I, and the reason is simply that this is an organization that does not go out on the free agent market and acquire frontline number one type starting pitchers. You know, I'm talking, you know, guys that can strike out 30% of the batters that they face, guys with wicked velocity. They do not go out and acquire those guys. So when they happen to have one of them in the system, um, I think that's an absolute diamond that they have to that they have to hang on to. You're absolutely right. They ha- they show a preference for a certain type of ground ball type pitcher, basically because they're cheap. So if they get if they get a a guy like Markevian Hens who is very young but shows certainly looks like he could be a, a real true like number one type starting pitcher, I think you hang on to him. Um, I think you trade him because he is so far away um everything that you just said there's no such thing as a pitching prospect um you know the in my mind and this has always been true the closer a pitcher gets to the majors and is successful the more valuable they are the further away the bigger the risk the bigger the gamble however you want to word it and hence is just you know, he will make your jaw drop with his stuff. There's really no arguing with that. But one thing we've learned in the era of velocity is that velocity also comes with injuries, and uh, that risk has to be factored in to the analysis. And so, to me, I would be probably more likely to trade him than a pitcher that has had success at higher levels of the minors because the path is fraught with risks of injury and ineffectiveness and a guy can really get derailed uh, on that path. Now, that being said, if, yeah. if there's someone you want to bet on, it's someone with great stuff. But, yeah. um, but the injuries, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. I, I Alex think, Reyes had great stuff. Yeah, oh, Alex Reyes, Carlos Martinez had great stuff. Um, and, you know, he, had, he has had a... Carlos Martinez, of course, had a much better uh, major league career than Alex Reyes has to date. But uh, you, that's a great point. And Alex Reyes had great stuff and success close to the majors. Yep. And it, it still didn't work. And yep. so, you know, I, I also want to see, you know, Hence's uh, very uh, early on in his career. And so we just... You know, we just don't know what that's going to look like when he starts stepping in against more professional hitters. And, you know, he's still more of a lottery ticket to me than uh, pitchers higher up in the system. And so I would trade him. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, those are kind of our thoughts either way on all of those players. Again, we we just we took whichever side we had to wasn't necessarily the side that we we argue on. But um, I think. 
certainly if the Cardinals do make some deals, which we both expect they will, I don't think there's any way that all of the players that we just mentioned are still Cardinals <laughs> on uh, on August 3rd. Uh, ben, we have, uh, we have one question we're going to um, deal with today, and this is kind of an interesting one. This is from Andrew Hall, who asks... Which outfielder would you extend, and what do you and and which do you think Mo will open the wallet for? Um, ben, what, what what do you think? Uh, I think my answer is the same for both, and it's Dylan Carlson. I I think uh, if they saw something in Bader that they were interested in an extension, uh, they would have already done it, and I think his plantar fasciitis has probably made it so an extension is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tyler O'Neill, and, and again, he had a really weird profile as a hitter last year when he was tremendously su- successful. And I think there was risk there that probably prevented them from negotiating an extension. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they made the decision internally to wait and see if Tyler O'Neill can repeat his success before beginning any sort of ex, uh, extension negotiations. And obviously he has not done that this year. And so I think the ship has probably sailed on that for Tyler O'Neill as well. And so yeah. I, I think Dylan Carlson is the answer um, because he has the most well-rounded skill set, the one that seems best suited for major league success, in particular at the plate. Um, and I already said, I guess, uh, in this very episode, that it's not hard to see him being a, in a corner outfield for the same spot for the St. Louis Cardinals for 10 years. And, you know, nothing that's happened this year has uh, changed my opinion on that. And I don't think it would change the front office's opinion either. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in terms of, you know, who. You know, if if I could wave a magic wand and extend any of them, it would a hundred percent be Dylan Carlson. And you know, one of the biggest things for me is uh, age. You know, Dylan Carlson is twenty three years old. Tyler O'Neill is twenty seven years old. So, um, uh, you know, when you think about an extension, and Tyler O'Neill has, um, he's in his first year of arbitration. He has two more arbitration years after this. So his age twenty eight and age twenty nine seasons will be, um, you know, arbitration years. So. If you extend Tyler O'Neill, that extension starts at his age 30 season. And typically, you know, guys are plateauing or declining, uh, you know, in, in their early 30s there. So it doesn't make a, as much sense, um, you know, for what you're, you know, what you're getting there. You know, Dylan Carlson is a guy that you could, you know, look to do something like a 10-year deal at this point. And essentially, you lower the amount that you have to pay for some of those free agent years because you're paying up for him in some of those pre-arb. I think he still has one pre-arb year left, if I'm not mistaken, and then the arbitration, you know, years after that. And that's what kind of makes it palatable for the the, the player. So I, he's the one, 100%. I think that they, you know, might be going after, um, you know, in that way. You know, that said, I think if you're the team, if if any, I think you probably float an extension with any of these guys, and there's a there's a number and a you know a number of years and a number of dollars for each of them that that you know makes some sense. But I think Carlson would be, um, you know, the answer there as well. I agree. So Ben, I think it's time to wrap things up today. Uh, 
We are going to be back actually on Monday. We have so many off days here grouped together. We're going to be back the day before the trade deadline with an off day. So Ben, what are you going to be watching for as we run up to that day? Uh, I'm going to be watching uh, to see how the Cardinals cobble together their starting rotation between now and the trade deadline. Um, they they were lucky enough to have the off days um, that have caused us to create a lot of content for everyone to, to listen <laughs> to. Uh, but it has been a blessing in disguise uh, for the team because they've run into the Mats injury and now they've got to, although they have the upcoming off day, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to cover these innings. And I'm very interested to see how they do it because, you know, you look at the way they've tried to do it so far, Matthew Libertor. Well, do you have much faith in that working at this point in time? Jordan Hicks as an opener. Well, I don't know how I feel about that either. You know, Zach Thompson, quite honestly, feels like perhaps the best option, uh, just to see how many innings you can get out of him. Um, or dare I say, Jake Woodford uh, <laughs> might make a start uh, in the next week. So uh, I'm very interested to see how they cover uh, innings uh, with their pitching staff before the trade deadline when they will hopefully add some reinforcements to the roster. Yeah, that will be very interesting to see. I am going to be watching out for fake Ken Rosenthal's because, Ben, we, <laughs> we are in fake Ken Rosenthal season. If you're on Twitter, now through the trade deadline is really the time to uh, start up a new account, um, you know, uh, Ken Rosenthal or Jeff Passan with, uh, you know, a couple of uh, numbers snuck in there in place of letters or, uh, you know, o open up a new account, copy their avatar over and send out a tweet that the Cardinals have acquired Juan Soto. And that thing is going to blow up and it's going to hit our feeds, Ben. And I'm going to have a moment where I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. And. I am going to do my best to be on the lookout to any time I see that. Very closely scrutinize that uh, <laughs> scrutinize that actual account. Be like, I don't remember Ken Rosenthal having the number and ampersand in his uh, in his name there. Um, I seem to recall he was verified, etc. Uh, so you got to be on the lookout. Uh, your uh, your Growbots and your your others will uh, will try to get you. So. Be on the lookout for that. Don't get fooled by a by a fake Ken Rosenthal. Yes, click through before retweeting. Make, yes, verify that this is in <laughs> fact Ken Rosenthal and this trade is in fact happening, and then slam that retweet. Oh yeah, button if it is the real Ken Rosenthal. Yeah, and 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 add a comment to your retweet too because that'll just kind of help your clout too because then you'll you'll get you know more visibility there. Um, <laughs> So Ben, for an off-day recommendation today, I think we wanted to do a, a joint recommendation and provide uh, good information to people um, who are genuinely um, looking for information about the COVID vaccines. Um, we reached out to uh, our friend Dan, who is a, a STEM librarian who really studies um, science and, and, and a professor who lectures on misinformation and stuff. And he, he directed us to this website, Dear Pandemic, Dot org, which I was not familiar with before. You've, had you checked it out before? No, I, I had not. 
and uh, it's it's a really excellent resource. I personally have you know gone straight to like the CDC primarily throughout um, you know the pandemic for my information, um, and that's a great resource. I would certainly encourage people to go there. But let's be honest, it's a government website. It can be a little dry. Um, this DearPandemic.org, it's run by a team of epidemiologists, all of whom happen to be women, and they've written a tremendous number of articles about various topics related to the COVID-19 pandemic, related to um, the vaccines, etc. And there's a really great kind of search bar that's forefronted there. So if you have a question about something or you're looking for a piece of information about something, you can just type it in right there. So Ben, for example, I typed in, uh, infertility and uh, COVID-19, and it brought up a number of articles that they had written, uh, which of course highlighted the fact that there is absolutely no evidence that the COVID-19 vaccines cause infertility. And um, the, the authors at the website there do a really great job in their articles of explaining that all to you. It's easy to read. And then at the end, um, it's always annotated very well, so you can link directly to the hard science beyond that as well. So, you know, for anyone who, uh, you know, is genuinely interested in, in investigating these things and getting good information, I would recommend that DearPandemic.org. Um, relatedly, I searched erectile dysfunction and COVID-19 can cause erectile dysfunction, but the vaccine does not. Right. So if you don't want to have erectile dysfunction, it sounds like you should get vaccinated. Yes. Be like John Denton and get vaccinated, folks. Yes. So, um, all right. Well, Ben, um, thank you so much. Uh, it's always good getting together. And it was, it was a lot of fun being in the same room tonight. Yes, it was. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, buckle up, because the trade rumors are going to be coming uh, fast and often uh, in the week ahead. All right. And we will look forward to talking to you guys on Monday on the next Cardinals Off Day podcast. Go Cardinals!